0: Hello everyone. Lou.
1: How are we doing?
2: Hey Gershaw.
1: Hey Larry.
2: Hey how's everyone doing?
1: Hey Jerry. I like doing you recording. Are we ready
2: to start we have another minute or two for more people to join.
1: Yeah, let's wait. Let's wait another minute. Okay. Um, we have, I say, we usually get fifty to sixty percent of signups. Okay. We have thirty-two signups, so you know, our target is seventeen people. Um,
2: let We have- see a analysis there.
1: Thank you, Jerry. Uh, what's the conversion rate on all of our ads? Rebecca, <laughs> is that a marketing question or a finance question? Think finance. Think finance. Um, all righty. Um, so let me, let me pull up my question list. Um, All so we're gonna get started. Thank you all for joining us today. My name is Gershaw Margolis. I'm the founder of Imperial Advisory, Outs- not outsourced fractional CFOs. Um, we stopped using the word outsource. Anyway, so we provide fractional CFO services to growing businesses. So those are businesses that need CFOs but don't need them full time. We also do consulting with smaller businesses that don't need a CFO but need help and larger businesses that have a CFO but still need help. Um, I'm gonna start by thanking Rebecca for helping to put this all together and by acknowledging the presence of everybody here, but one person gets called out by name and that's Bob, who's my partner here on Prairie Advisory. So thank you for joining us today. we're working on setting this up. Rebecca sent me something today about that. We almost have this up as a podcast. So, uh, you know, ask questions and you'll get famous. Um, get ready, Jerry. Um, all right. So today we're hosting someone who I met three or four years ago and who's become a friend over that time. Um, Jerry Friedman is as an, an interesting background for how he ended up doing what he did. I, you know, that's going to be my first question for him actually, how, how he ended up here. But Jer- Jerry has been working with businesses in our space, businesses is growing businesses and all sorts of businesses and helping them with getting bank loans and with, um, we're not going to focus on it today but maybe he'll drop in some tidbits about SBA where he has I guess a, a subspecialty but he does really bank loans more broadly um, and anyway we're very pleased to have Jerry here to share insight with us on how to how to get a bank loan how to get a bank loan in a smart way and how to use it to help grow your business
2: thank you. For uh, having me.
1: Absolutely. So the format today is a little different than what we, oh, and something else I was going to mention is that Rebecca reminded me of this earlier. We are going on hiatus after this. This is the last one for the season, if you will, and we anticipate picking up our webinar series again after the summer. Um, But thank you all for joining us today. I would say I know most of the people here, a couple who I don't know yet, but hopefully uh, we'll get to meet each other today or sometime soon. All right, so without further ado, Jerry, thank you for joining us.
2: I'm still yeah. under the gun here, you know, the last one. I feel like it's got to be super entertaining or
1: something. It is. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, all right, so you have a bachelor's degree, if I recall correctly, in accounting. You spent time as an auditor. And then you went private and did outsource controller and outsource CFO work. How, how did you end up becoming a loan broker?
2: Yeah, so great question. So, just to give you a little brief background, so I graduated in two thousand twelve from Tarou College with a BA in accounting. Um, it's actually quite funny because uh, historically the you know the uh, have all been horrible at math. Um, so when I told my family I'm going for an accounting degree, it, and I think that, you know a couple of heart attacks uh, ensued. Um, but anyways, we got through it. Um, thank you, Microsoft Excel. Excel definitely saved the day. Um, so, you know, I really went to, to, for an accounting degree because it was really just a solid business degree. It was sort of all encompassing you the accounting, marketing, finance, economics. Um, I just thought it would be something solid, you know, before I head out into the workforce. Um, and it happens to be the first job I landed was at a public accounting firm uh, in New Jersey. You know, I started doing tax a little bit of taxes, a little bit of audits. Um, I ended up staying in the industry for for about five years uh, with a focus uh, in the audit space. Uh, I audited private companies primarily. Um, After about five years, I felt like I sort of maxed out on my experience. What I was looking to get out of the industry, I went and became the CFO of a distribution company down in uh, New Jersey. Here. Um, after about 11, 12 months, I finally realized, hey, it's time, you know, it's time to go. I want to be my own boss. I've done reporting to people. I wanted to be reported to. Um, so I sort of jumped ship. And, I, and really my goal was to be more of a freelance, uh, fractional, outsourced CFO, coming to businesses on, the, on a monthly basis or on a project-specific basis, help with financial reporting. Um, what I started realizing was that everyone had a demand for, for some sort of bank loan or another, whether it was a line of credit. Uh, whether it was a loan to buy equipment, whether it was a loan to buy another business or, or owner occupied real estate. Um, and, you know, I sort of figured, hey, you know, so why did I audit companies back in my auditing days? Uh, really, the, the main reason why, and it could be I'm preaching to the choir here, most private companies have audits because they have some sort of bank financing or there, right? No one's just cutting a business a blank check uh, and then saying okay great pay us out over x period of time or do do as you please with the funds we're giving you access to um so we ordered them for the bank essentially i mean the, our clients were these private companies um but the ultimate purpose was was uh, so that the bank can get satisfaction um you know just knowing that their client their customers books are in order um then when, once i left the auditing industry and team CFO which, it was sort of, I was managing uh, the banking relationship. It was one of my key roles as CFO, reporting to, to our lender, uh, applying for increases, and in that kind of a thing. So, when I started seeing the demand in the space, you know, some of my clients uh, were needing assistance um, in, in helping loans get approved. I sort of just dove right into it. Probably five, six months later, I sort of just started shedding all my CFO clients and started focusing on helping companies uh, get approved for business loans through conventional lenders. And that's what brings me here today.
1: All right. So interesting story. So can you help anyone who's interested? How does a business know when they're ready for you?
2: Yeah. So, uh, so, so uh, help anyone. Uh, I can't, I definitely can't help anyone. Um, It's very tough to help early stage startups Pre-revenue startups, I don't wanna say that it's not possible. Um, I, I think we have a mutual client or two where I've helped you know, startups get funding. Um, but, but generally the clients that I seek to work with are more uh, established companies. When I say established, we're talking about at least having two years of, of, uh, of tax returns uh, under their belts. Um, generally just have their, 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 their business model uh, in play, active, Uh, They have a substantial amount of revenue. Uh, Their bottom line is, you know, somewhat strong and healthy. Um, So to answer your question, it's not really anyone. Um, But it definitely, I definitely do work, uh, seek to work with more uh, established companies that have a couple of years under their belt.
1: Got it. Now, are you, if someone comes to you because, well let me preface i used to be in investment banking so we had different types of situations where people would be getting money we worked with bonds and i had this conversation with another loan broker who deals in the specifically with real estate and i don't think they do bank loans but had this conversation with someone a few days ago and i guess my question is do you normally the way I think of it is when you're in distress that's when you need to go to a broker because the broker can help you with again from the from the bomb perspective if you were in trouble and there was a story to tell that's when you went to a broker but if you were if you had a solid bottom line then you could essentially cut the broker out and someone was saving money somewhere and that trickled down
2: right. Right. So, so look, with conventional lenders, they're not work. They're not looking to work with companies that are in distress. Um, to the contrary, banks are generally super, super conservative. Um, right. If 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 a company's in distress, chances are they're not going to get approved. Uh, if they have an existing, uh, if they have an existing loan, it's very likely that their loan may get called um, by the bank. Um, interestingly. Um, you know, I guess now is a good time to bring up the pandemic. Uh, So I think a good question would be Is well, you know, how are banks viewing the, you know, the impact from the pandemic? Uh, And, you know, initially, right, every company had some sort of impact uh, one way or another, Um, many positive, but most people had some sort of negative impact. Um, So talking about companies in distress, uh, so one way that banks are sort of mitigating uh, COVID is basically saying, hey, well, give us a monthly PL uh, and let us see like the upward trajectory, you know, let's see that you're getting back to normal. Let's look at the same thing for 2021. Um, so, so generally when companies are in distress, uh, it's definitely a much tougher time to get approved for, for, for a loan or a line of credits. Um, COVID obviously is slightly different, um, but even in a healthy time, right, companies still um, can utilize the benefit of going to a loan broker um, and this may answer some of your questions um, that you have down the line but, but, but number one uh, right a broker in the time it takes one company to go to a bank right so they go to their bank that they're banking with right and it's like okay get me this get us that right they move into underwriting a couple of weeks right and then it's like okay maybe they got approved maybe they got denied The point is, in that time frame, a broker could have gone to multiple different lenders, um, or he could have just gone to a single lender that he knows that would appreciate, you know, this company's story um, and their financial condition. Um, So even when a company is not in distress, there's just a tremendous amount of value that that a broker can bring to the table.
1: That does answer some of my questions and actually brings up one of the ones we have for later, which is What is the value of sticking with a bank and a banking relationship? Should people be shopping, shopping their loans around, or do they, is, is the, I get that you, some banks like someone's better, so that you just said, but is there also value to staying with your bank and how do you balance the two?
2: So relationships are definitely great, um, but it's also uh, important to recognize what the nature of the relationship is what the lenders capabilities are. I mean, take for example, you know, I don't want to throw out names here, but there's there's a popular bank that I, everyone I know has their personal banking there, okay? And they have a very robust online bill pay kind of system, um, pay your bills, send uh, Zelle payments, um, just a lot of very robust online system and everyone loves banking there. So naturally when they go and open a business on day one, it's like, hey, why don't I just go open a business account with the same bank that I'm, you know, I've been banking with for the last ten years, um, and again, the, the 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 relationship sort of seems great, but all of a sudden it comes time to go knock on their door, you know, on your banker's door, and say, hey, I need I need a million dollar loan or I need a five hundred thousand dollar loan, and then all of a sudden they're not there for you. So hey, you just had a banking relationship uh, for the past ten years or five years, um, in reality they're just not that bank that's going to be with you. You know they're not going to be there for you as the as the business uh, as the enterprise grows. Um, so yeah, relationships um, definitely help, um, but it's definitely very important to understand um, what their capabilities are. Um, you know, just to give you another example, so some local community banks, um, right? They're great. You walk in there, uh, they know your name, they know you on a first name basis, um, and you know maybe they'll give you two three hundred thousand dollars. But then the question is. Uh, what about, hey, we're, we're, you know, we went from being a small size business to a medium-sized business, and all of a sudden we need a, a line of credit for two and a half million dollars, and hey, most community banks, they're not going to be there for you because they don't have the wherewithal to handle something like that. So even though you have that extensive relationship, uh, it's only going to get you so far.
1: Okay, so it sounds to me like you're saying that well, do you should people be thinking about this years in advance when they establish those banking relationships, or can you just solve it all by saying, "Okay, this bank won't do it; I'll go find another one" when you need the money?
2: Well, look, it's definitely it definitely should be you know it should be something that should be planned in advance. Obviously, you can't plan in advance you know five years in advance, or you know if you know you will need a five million dollar line of credit, but you definitely should be looking uh, for a bank or lender that you know, that does take relationships very seriously. You know, you're not just another number. You want to make sure they're going to be there for you uh, as you grow. Um, so it is something you can try to plan for. Um, it's not always something that, that, that may pan out per se, um, but it's definitely something that you can plan for. I mean, the other thing is, is that, you know, relationships may help you ultimately get approved for that line of credit or loan you're looking for. But then the question also is like, hey, is this the best possible structure for my business, right? So they'll say, yeah, we'll give you a million and a half line of credit. But then, you know, they throw in all these covenants, um, they throw in all these ridiculous reporting requirements. So, you know, some businesses may say, oh, great. You know, I'm with this bank forever. They're willing to give me a substantial line of credit. Um, But then if they came to a broker, that broker may be able to tell them, say, hey, what this bank is proposing to your relationship is not something your business can handle. uh, And, you know, we can probably do better by taking you to a larger or regional kind of lender. Um, So it's a a pretty loaded question. Um, You know, really depends on a case by case basis, but obviously relationships do matter. It's just a question if that relationship is always going to be there for you, uh, you know, as the the enterprise, uh,
1: you know, scales. All right. So I'm going a little off script here, but have you ever thought of setting up a business where banks pay you for sending them depositors and you can send people to the type of bank which they need to be in so that when they need a loan, they can uh, it's get it? Definitely,
2: it's definitely a little out of the box kind of thinking, um, but that's what they're paying That's what they're paying their business bankers for. That's what they're paying their loan officers for. A lot of them get paid for deposits and, and those kinds of things. Um, I think of... I, I, look, I guess I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to think about it, but it'll probably be a tough one if I had to guess. The thing with banks is that like, right, everything is like, well, the banks charter, bank policy, you're dealing with these corporate Elias and, you know, you bring some novel idea to them and it's like, okay, we'll run it up the chain, you know, and then you start hitting red tape or it's just like a flat out no, but I'm definitely going to take that under consideration.
1: <laughs> All right um all right so let's stop for a second see if anyone has any questions and then i'll i'll go back to my list if we don't okay sure anyone
3: have any questions for jerry or me but mostly jerry i have a question gershon and jerry uh i'm not sure if we have this for later in the program but um what what's i want to talk a little bit about use of funds so um so you go to a bank you know because what if what if you have a startup? You, they're buzzing along. They're starting to make some money, and the people that funded you to get there just want their money back. So you're not you may be you may be borrowing some money for growth, but in effect, you want to pay back sort of founder money. How is that? Does that make it particularly more challenging to to, to switch to other people's money as you're as you're growing?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question, uh, Bob. Really appreciate that. Um, so you bring up a good point, use of funds, um, and, and maybe this is somewhere else on the list of questions too, um, but I think what people need to recognize, businesses need to recognize, n- n- no lender is just cutting blank checks for business loans. Um, it generally doesn't work that way. There always has to be a need, uh, you know, and the need has to be justified, right? So where it's equipment or uh, a piece of real estate, uh, right, it's very easy to justify um, but what about, like what you said, uh, right, paying back founders, uh, investors, um, and that kind of a thing um, It's definitely, uh, definitely way more challenging. Um, I think that it would be very tough to get approved by coming to a lender and saying, hey, I need a loan to pay back my founders. Uh, it's, it's very different if it's a note, per se, if it's a formal note um, with, with, a, with a different corporate entity, um, then you're just talking about refinancing a note. But just to say, hey, you know, I founded a company. I put in five hundred thousand dollars in my own funds. Uh, I want a loan to pay myself back. It's not the kind of thing that most lenders would, would be interested in. Money.
3: But you just said something interesting. So if you're doing a startup, and let's let's say you get, you know, you get you get people to put up a half million dollars to to fund your business, it it sounds like you're better off having them put it in as a note than than just as money. Right. Because then two years down the line, you're cash positive, you're creating, you want to pay them back. Now, an appropriate use of funds is to pay back a note as opposed to a dividend to investing shareholders. Right. That 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 smells a little better to the bank. Is what yeah, you're saying.
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it just it just to <laughs> bring another point as well. So when we talk about startup funding, we touched on this earlier, pre-revenue startups or early stage startups. Um, so there's two key products that most conventional lenders use uh, when they're lending to small businesses. There's conventional loans, right, a line of credits, uh, which is basically an interest-only loan. You you draw down on principal, you pay that principal um, as as you can. Um, and then there's SBA lending. And in, in SBA lending, there's a lot of misnomers, especially with the pandemic. There's a lot of SBA products out there for disaster relief, um, but regular SBA loans. Uh, have been around for many, many years. Uh, and it's a basic program that lenders work with is called SBA 7A. Now the loan is coming from the lender itself. however, it has a guarantee from the SBA, similar to what you see in the residential real estate market, Fannie, Freddie, um, those kind of programs. Um, now with SBA lending, SBA 7A lending, they allow lenders to make these startup loans. Um, but obviously, they're definitely more challenging, right? You have to come to a lender, um, right? Because the lender still has exposure. Um, generally, the, the lender has a guarantee of 75% from the SBA. So there's still like 25% exposure. Um, that changed a little with the pandemic. Um, but the point is the lender still, you know, has to take that risk um, and, right? Startups are just a risky proposition. Um, so it is possible to get startup funding Uh, Obviously, it's more complex, you know, the lender crosses their T's, dot their I's, both from the SBA's underwriting requirements, plus their own, right? They can can apply their own underwriting requirements. Um, So it is possible to get that startup funding. And I always tell people, like, try not to go to investors um, and give them a piece of the pie. uh, If you can get approved for that bank loan, right? Why give up equity in your own company if you can own your company uh, outright 100% uh, and get some sort of startup funding uh, and pay that out over 10 years or something like that. So that's definitely a good point, um, but just to quickly reiterate, paying back founders, paying back investors um, is definitely super challenging. It's probably best that those things be structured as, as some formal note with a corporate entity.
3: You know, Jerry, that's an, it's a, it's a, you know, thanks for that answer, but you, you touched on something that's interesting in Gershon. and I have seen this where people are starting up a business, they're so hungry for money, they're willing to give away a chunk of the business and they're not really thinking through what happens with the dilution somewhere down the line when they bring in another investor. They're not thinking about, and, and, and they're, I don't wanna say desperate, but they're anxious to get that business going and they're willing to give away uh, equity. And, and it's tough to, to have that frank conversation with them of what that's gonna to do to them you know, when they're successful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're gonna touch on this a little later. Um, We're Gonna talk about some other forms of financing, like what to stay away from. Uh, And really like what I find is, is that businesses that are like in a state of disarray, their financials are not organized, um, you know, they sort of are not doing what they need to do to take things to the next level Um, and, you know, because of that, they basically end up giving a piece of the pie up and they start looking for investors or these high interest loans. Um, so it's just something to consider regardless of what stage of, you know, your business is in, uh, Hey, is, you know, should I be going to investors or should I actually be strategizing, get approved, um, for some sort of conventional, uh, facility, um, as opposed to giving up a piece of the pie.
1: Now, Jerry, I have, quick question on what you're saying if you've got a business which is losing money for the foreseeable future these are the types of things that we we sometimes bump into especially with startups that they want to build out a whole technology stack it's going to cost two million dollars do they have any and those are the people who often not exclusively but often those people are out there looking for investors do they have any chance of getting a loan or is
2: Yeah, uh, a good question. Um, So when you talk about losing money for the foreseeable future, um, I don't think a bank is going to want to lend money to a company that is going to be running at a loss for the next two years. Um, They like lending to startups that, hey, okay, you have an idea, you have a concept. Uh, Once you execute it and you you start ramping things up, it'll be a few months before things start taking off. They're not looking to lend money to businesses that are going to be losing money for the foreseeable future those are probably more investment kind of opportunities.
1: Got it. OK, we've got a couple of questions. Um, in one question in the chat and then Brian sent me, uh, told me he has a couple of questions. So Adina Frankel asks, is there a formula to determine how large a loan you need?
2: Um, you know, that's actually a great question. I mean, that's probably more for for, for you guys, right? To determine uh, your working capital needs, right? What what are their true working capital needs? Um, so, it's 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 not it's not a simple, straightforward answer. I mean, if you're talking about a, a you know working capital kind of line of credits um, or to fund inventory, um, it's probably best you have your cash flow projections, um, you have your forecasts in place. Um, so you can anticipate the need. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't say there's any formal form uh, formula per se. Um, you know, obviously, when you're talking about uh, you know uh, uh, equipment financing or you're buying a business, um, that's a different story. Um, but to straight straight for working capital or inventory, um, it's really just about you know getting your 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 forecast and cash flow projections in order.
3: And, and I would also say that it depends on the type of revenue that the company has if the company is is a is a retail or a distribution business where you have to earn a customer every month you you don't you don't get as much leverage on a company like that as you do when you have long-term contracts recurring revenue and predictable and stable cash flows those are more those are more financeable with debt than Than the other types of companies, right? As you mentioned, I mean equipment loans, things like that are a little bit different. But if you're if you're financing an entire business, the nature of the cash flows also factors in.
1: Yep,
2: absolutely. Right.
3: Awesome. I'll jump in. So I have two questions. The first question is when you're going, get it preparing to go into the process of trying to obtain a line of credit. Or alone, when you're speaking with the bank, those conversations that you're having with them and you're trying to sort of set the expectation of what the process is going to look like, how often does the process look like um, the way that you thought it was going to be? Like, how many times does it end up being a whole different process? And um, they, you know, it requires so much more work and, and time in order to obtain it, just because I want to know for myself what's my expectation? Is it realistic when I have a conversation with the bank? Is it going to go the way that we expect or is it gonna go a totally different direction? That's the first question. And the second question, as you mentioned, that specific banks are are better for different types of lending. How do you identify which banks are the best exactly for your business?
1: Can I jump in for a second? That second question is why you call Jerry. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But I'll let Jerry answer the rest.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I was going to start with answering the second question. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, so really to answer your first question, um, it's very important to have a candid, also awesome on conversation um, with, with your lender, um, with, with whoever you bank with. Um, say, hey, what does the process entail? Uh, and generally, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a uniform process per se, um, but most lenders ask for similar uh, similar items. Uh, with slight deviations uh, from lender to lender. Um, so I think it's very important, you know, when you start exploring uh, procuring a line of credit for your business, um, you talk to your lender and say, hey, what is needed for me? I want a complete list of items up front. Um, generally, there's not much more that's needed than, 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 you know, there shouldn't be more that's needed, more than that package. I mean, obviously if they identify anomalies and questions and things like that. Um, you know, you may have to repair additional analyses, but it's usually not, um, you know, that onerous, that it's not something you can do in like a reasonable and timely fashion. Um, most lenders have that same basic uh, foundational package that they look at. Um, you know, it's not really going to change much. Um, you know, we're talking about a PL and l imbalance sheet, historical tax returns, historical historical personal tax returns. Uh, personal financial statement for all the owners. Um, year-to-date financials, uh, maybe accounts receivable and accounts payable reports. It's a pretty um, uniform, not not uniform per se, but it, it's pretty pretty much identical from lender to lender. Sometimes, as they dig into the meat of things, they have additional questions. Um, you know, you may have to provide additional information. Um, but really, it's important you get. Uh, a list of items that are needed up front. Um, and, uh, and and make sure when you're submitting to the lender that you're submitting a complete package as well. I find a lot with with uh, you know a lot of scenarios where lenders are not necessarily so upfront and forthcoming about what's needed, it's like, okay, well, send me a PL and a balance sheet. Okay, it takes them a week to review that. All of a sudden they're coming back to with additional requests, takes more time to review that. And it starts getting a little bit out of control, a little bit out of whack. Um, so it's just important to have that conversation with your lender up front. Uh, Nisim Isaacson asked an interesting. Brian, sorry, did that did that answer your question?
3: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.
2: Okay. Uh, so Nisim Isaacson asked an interesting question. Uh, do you see any changes in bank lending policies since COVID nineteen? Sizes of loans, uh, requirements, etc. Um, so conventional, and that's really a great question. I think I sort of touched on this earlier. Um, conventional lending has really buttoned up. A lot of lenders have just completely gone haywire. Um, they're starting to take risk stock of some of their losses, uh, and they're, you know, they're turning a lot of like loan covenants. Uh, you know, they're they they're actually um, you know they're actually taking advantage of those loan covenants. Um, so it's it's very important, you know, and I think you know I, I, I told all my clients like if if you've had any issues from COVID or any issues for that matter, um, it's always important to be upfront uh, with with your lender. Um, talk to them about it ahead of time um, so you can plan. Now the worst possible thing, the worst the worst case scenario, which is you know I wish on no one, is where a lender calls you up and says, hey, we reviewed your tax returns, your financial statements. Uh, and you're, you know, you're in breach of, uh, of X and X covenant, you're in default on your loan and that kind of a thing. Um, in terms of their, you know, lending actual, you know, new, new loans, um, I touched on this earlier where they're looking at, well, what was the impact from COVID, right? So did you have a two, three month impact? Um, was it a more extensive impact? Um, let's, see the, let's see how you've done Right? So it's very understandable that a business has been impacted in March, April, May of 2020. So let's see how you did the rest of the year. Let's see how you're doing in 2021. Um, And as as long as you're able to show that upward trajectory uh, and that you've either recovered, you're on that track to recovery, a lot of lenders are, you know, completely fine with that. Um, I hope that answered your question, Neeson, but things have definitely changed. Um, conventional lending has tightened up. SBA 7a is a very, very hot spot now because uh, lenders have a guarantee from the from the federal government on a big portion of the loan. Um, but conventional lending is definitely coming back to life. It's just about demonstrating um, that you've either recovered or you're well on the you know well on the way to recovery.
0: Thank you, Jerry. That was very good. Um...
1: But I'm saying, as far as the banks themselves, have they actually changed policies? Let's say if a bank typically lent uh, two to five million dollars. Are they are they walking away from those type of loans, or or have you seen that at all?
2: Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, case by case basis. Um, every loan, there's a different story. Um, I've, I've definitely seen that, where where they change loan amounts, um, how they underwrite the loans. Um, it's definitely changing, but. I see things picking back up already, meaning things have change, been changing already for the last six months to a year because of the pandemic, but I'm definitely seeing uh, lending coming back to life. It's still not at pre-pandemic levels, uh, but things have definitely changed to an extent.
0: What do you recommend to somebody that feels that their loan
1: might be in jeopardy due to bank policies changing? Do you recommend looking at refinancing the loan, trying to negotiate with the bank, uh, involving an attorney? What's,
0: what's the pathway?
2: Right, right, right. So, so the question is, if the loan is uh, truly in jeopardy or not, or, or, or are you concerned it's in jeopardy? Um, I would definitely seek to refinance a loan if it actually is in jeopardy. Um, I mean, you can talk to an attorney. I mean, I'm not sure what you can do if, uh, if, if, if you're, you know, if you're already in default. Um, some, some lenders do, you know, do take some sort of offer and compromise. Um, you know, and some lenders do, you know, do have some leverage for negotiations. Um, but I just think today it's it's a tough time to negotiate, um, you know, as lenders take stock of their losses, which they still haven't realized many of them. Um, I think it's a tougher time to, to negotiate and probably the better option is to seek to to refinance. Thank you. Very good. Thank
1: you. All right, I'm gonna go back go back to our regularly scheduled program and we'll see what we get through. Maybe we'll have you back for a follow-up. Um, all right, um, so what do you do to get a company ready for a bank loan? What's your process?
2: Right, so so for me, it's more about guiding the company more than what I do per se. But obviously, because they have the accounting and auditing background, um, I definitely have somewhat of a competitive edge. So, uh, so I work in compiling the package with them, um, and it's not just about packaging it up and shipping it off to fifty lenders, hoping something sticks. Um, I underwrite the deal myself um, as if the lender itself was looking at it, uh, and. I have to make sure, you know, together with the client that things are actually presentable um, and that it's actually a deal that we can present to a bank. I can't begin to tell you how many, um, you know, deals I look at where financial statements are just like in a complete state of disarray. uh, And I have to recommend to them, say, hey, you know, clearly your your internal uh, bookkeeping processes are not working for you. Um, I think you may need to talk to an outside accountant. Um, I'll give you another example. Um, right? So a typical uh, report that most lenders will look at is say, hey, send me an AR aging report, right? an accounts receivable aging report. And when I see that the majority of the balances in the AR aging uh, report are greater than 90 days, um, it sets off alarm bells. And that's something that's going to set off alarm bells in a lender's head. Um, and that's going to throw off the balance sheet too. Um, So that's the kind of thing where I add value and I come back to them and say, hey, we need to clean this up. We need to clean that up. Um, So really it's about adding that initial value so that when we present to lenders, we're presenting them with a complete um, and accurate and clean package. Um, And that's really where I add a lot of value. Um, I also understand the operational side very well as CFO and as an auditor. Um, So I always tell my clients, right, you can be a super profitable business. You can look great on paper. It doesn't mean a lender is going to want to uh, lend to you. Um, there's the, the the qualitative aspects of the story as well. Um, so I'm able to bring that out. Uh, you know, I talk to my clients. Uh, I ask them very specific, detailed questions about their business, their processes, um, their growth, um, who the owners are, um, and I'm able to to put together a very nice, detailed write up and executive summary um, of the of the business, um, so that when lenders um, get the package, right? It's not just looking at a set of financial statements. It really, I'm really able to, to help tell the story uh, of the business and the owners along with the actual financials. Got
1: it. Good. I think that, that kind of covered some of our other, some of our next few questions. So let's jump to personal guarantees. Um, and once you're talking about that, please tell us about SBA as well. So do these loans require personal guarantees from the business owners? How about if there's multiple business owners? How does that work, and are there ways around it?
2: Right, right. So, uh, so that's really a great question. And It's a very um, frequent question I get from, from clients and uh, prospects. Um, how can we avoid a personal guarantee? Um, the short answer is, is that I have yet to see a business loan, both in my auditing days, both in what I do today that did not have a personal guarantee. Um, the way most lenders view it is that, hey, if you don't believe in your business, you're not willing to sign that guarantee, why should we lend you money? Um, so that's really the answer in a nutshell. It's very tough to circumvent. Um, now the question is, hey, what if someone's a 5% owner in a business or a 10% owner, are they still gonna have to personally guarantee? Um, so there's, there's thresholds. Um, I would say that the most common threshold is 20%. If someone's more than a 20% owner in the business, um, it's likely they're going to have to personally guarantee the loan, um, especially in the SBA space and SBA space. Um, that is an absolute requirement. Anyone with more than 20% equity in the business is going to have to personally guarantee. Um, now, some people try to get a little smart and it's like, Hey, so let's restructure the ownership. Um, now with a conventional loan, that may work. Uh, but on the SBA side, the SBA requires that the lender do a look back. They say, okay, there's some ownership changes here. Um, they're not, they don't want that. People are just trying to avoid the guarantee. Um, so they're basically gonna require the lender to look back. I think it's a three month look back period. So if there any ownership changes and <clears throat> it happened less than three months ago, it doesn't even matter. Um, so most of the time they're gonna require a guarantee. In some instances where you have, you know, a majority partner uh, is a super strong guarantor high net worth individual, um, you may be able to say, okay, let's just have this individual guarantee and let's do away with the guarantees of the other partners because they don't matter much either way. Um, But for the most part, there's always going to be some sort of guarantee required one way or another.
1: And does that stop at a certain size loan? I mean, huge businesses, McDonald's borrows money and there's not a personal guarantee there.
2: Right, right. Um, yeah, with enterprise sized uh, size, um sized loans, you know, McDonald's, Coca-Cola size loans and that kind of a thing, there likely won't be a personal guarantee, um, you know, but you're talking about facilities um, in the billions, in the billions of dollars. Um, they're relying on the strength of the company. It's likely the company also has a substantial amount of collateral uh, to, to secure the loan with. Not just general business assets until you had actual hard physical assets. Um, but when you're talking about small, medium-sized business loans, there's always going to be a guarantee in one way or another. E- even in a even in a C corp, um, even in a C corp, they're likely going to require the majority shareholder to to guarantee.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, there are alternate alternatives to bank loans. And we have at least one person here, Stacy, who works in the alternate loan space. Oh, are okay. there hey Stacy? Um, thanks for coming. Um oh, but that's
2: oh that's, oh, that's Stacy. Okay,
1: here's Stacy. Yeah. <laughs> so is is there a do you ever come across a situation where someone says deaf oh okay, it looks like we have two. Um are, are there ever situations where someone says no we absolutely don't want it and you say you know what then the bank loan's not right for you or do you tell them get the bank loan and just take the personal guarantee and deal with it?
2: I mean look uh, really the next best product after conventional financing which is where Stacy focuses I believe is really a count receivable factor um, which is where essentially the the, uh, the lender uh, or the factor is basically lending against uh, invoices, specific invoices from the, from the company's customers. Um, past that, um, I would say stay, stay far away from that stuff. Um, you're gonna be paying for it uh, in some form or another. Um, and I see, for example, Dina Frank will just ask, what would you consider to be bad debt Um, You know, I guess this is where we're headed now with this conversation. Um, I I highly recommend that people stay away from most private lenders. Again, accounts receivable factoring is probably the safest form. Um, It's very straightforward. Um, There isn't much in the way of fine print. Um, You know what you're paying, you know what it's costing, you know what the process is. Um, Anything beyond that, whether we're talking about cash advances uh, or other onerous private kind of notes. Um, I just recommend to stay away from. I I know that in the private lending space, um, everyone likes to tout how they've saved companies and how they're saving America's businesses. I have yet to meet a company that has taken out private notes or cash advances and that said, hey, this was actually for... (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Stacy. Yeah, cash advance loans equal bad. Uh, but I've yet to meet a private company that I said, yeah, we took a cash advance and it was super helpful. It saved our business or was able to take our business to the next level. Um, There's just too much deception, uh, too much deception in the private loan industry. Um, and Gersh, I'm not sure if I told you this and I highly recommend this to everybody. Um, Google, um, Dirty Money, episode two uh, on Netflix. Um, it's a worthwhile watch for anyone that ever considered uh, a private note, a private loan for your business or for your client's business. Um, it really more focuses on um, payday loans, which back in the day were really personal loans, you know, let's say someone couldn't help pay their mortgage. So they make this payday loan and they take the money straight out of their paycheck. Um, but and really it, it acts it literally mimics how cash advances operate and how they're structured. I really highly recommend it. I recommend it to all my clients once they start talking about cash advances. Um, but again, it's just super, super dangerous to get involved in. And I can almost guarantee you um, that outside of accounts receivable factoring, uh, these private um, these private lenders and they don't want to call themselves lenders. Um, they take that as an offense because they're advancing cash. Um, it's just, it's just something that people need to stay away from. It's not going to be beneficial for the business. I can promise you that.
3: What what type of interest rates though is that? Isn't AR yeah. factoring pretty expensive debt?
2: Uh, so factoring, it's definitely more expensive than conventional lending. But again, it's the kind of thing where where the structure is very straightforward and understandable, um, and you can you can build that into your margins. Um, you know, compare that to cash advances where you know, they tell you, oh yeah, we're paying, you know, we're gonna charge you 1%. uh, But then all of a sudden it turns out you're making um, daily payments, um, maybe weekly payments. um, And then when you compare the 1% that they told you they're gonna charge you, uh, you compare that to a bank loan, uh, you know, and you factor in an APR, all of a sudden it turns out you're paying 100%, 200%. The reason why I just think that factoring is a safer bet um, is again, just because the nature of the relationship it's, it's way more straightforward. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the fine print is not much in the way of fine print. Um, and for a, you know, for a company that's in high growth mode, they have a lot of receivables. Um, they can't get approved for a substantially sized line of credits. Um, it's definitely the next best option.
1: And to your point, if you can build that into your margins, you can decide at that rate, which is a rate that we, the, it's not, you don't look at it necessarily as a rate. It's an amount of money that you're going to lose 5% on every invoice. So if you can still make money and you'd rather grow quicker and get 5% less, which might cost you, you know, 20 or 30% of your bottom line, but if it enables you to scale rapidly and you, you know, the deal before you start when I mean, it doesn't compound, doesn't change. It's just that that could, that could make sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, w- I want to, respond to a question that adina put in the chat um about what you would consider bad debt so i'm sure that a lot of what we just discussed would fall into that but i want to talk about a different type of bad debt that i've come in contact with which is debt and i'll just start off by sharing the two categories there's debt which you're using to help grow your business in the future and there's debt which you're using to solve your problems from the past and debt which you're using to solve your problem from the past means you something didn't go right now you're stuck with that and you got to pay for that going forward and it's not creating any value for your company in the future so say you lost half a million dollars last year and you borrowed money to cover it and now you got to pay off that half a million dollars that serves as a ends up being a drag on your company. Whereas if you borrow half a million dollars and that enables you to hire new people or do whatever it is that you need to do in the future, that's what I would call good debt, so. Uh...
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you touched on this earlier, right? Keep in mind when a business is in distress, it's gonna be much harder to get uh, a proper form of financing. In um, you know, it's very easy to fall back on some of these other uh, options like cash advances or other um, of private lending. Um, And although that may be a tough time for you, uh, don't make desperate moves. Don't make desperate moves. Um, You have to make smart moves. You have to understand the long-term implications of what you, you know, and the nature of the relationship. Um, It's super, super important. Um, If you're losing money, I think that you need to bring in uh, Gershon or Bob and figure out why you're losing money um, and see if you could plug the holes um, but the key is not to make desperate moves. So, like, you know, what you're saying, Gershon, is you're ultimately going to be paying that for a long time and it's going to be likely going to be a drag on the company.
1: All right, we got a couple more comments over here. Um...
2: Okay, so Bob, uh, so Bob, uh, Bob, uh, Bob, Bob's, uh, you know, he's deploying a common um, CFO. CFO, like I would say CFO tip and trick, right? So Bob basically said, I suggest trying early payment discounts um, before going to factoring. It may not work, but I would try that first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Early payment discounts. um, I I think this is another one. How about taking credit card? You know, taking credit card, uh, you know, so you get paid sooner. I think that's that's huge as well. I mean, obviously, whatever you can do, I would say that this is just, uh, this is a good method in general to to avoid having to, you know, to obtain uh, any form of financing. Um, if you can increase your cash flow, get paid sooner, um, I think uh, that, that would definitely be a good move all around.
1: And taking off on what Bob and Jerry are saying, um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm also a professor besides for doing CFO stuff. And so one of the things I've discussed with my students, I don't know if we've actually implemented this at any clients, but the idea that by offering a discount, you are losing some percent. It's let's say taking a credit card costs you three percent, for example. And we actually implement this for ourselves. But taking a credit card might cost you three percent. But if that means and if you compound that, the rate is probably 40, 45 percent. Um, but you know, and an annualized basis. But the point is if you're losing 3% and that enables you to not need an accounts receivable department, because there's no one to chase because everyone pays you up front, that 3% shouldn't necessarily be benchmarked against an interest rate. You could benchmark that against the cost of your accounts receivable department. So if you can get rid of an employee and that costs you 3% of your revenue, 3%, three percent of your revenue or three percent of your revenue on certain types of clients and that means you don't have to chase people down that you're saving money in other places.
2: Um, I just want to throw in another question that was great. Um, you know another area where a factor can add value uh, and you have to make sure your factor does this there, there are different types of factoring is with recourse without recourse uh, where you know it's very possible that the factor is actually taking over the collection process um, for you. And I'll give you an example one of my clients as an auditor, um, they dealt with big box stores throughout the country, you know, from Target, Walmart. uh, And they're very difficult to deal with, right? You send them an invoice for $100,000. They send you back a payment for $75,000. It takes time to actually collect that. uh, And you constantly have to be on top of it. And in like, you know, similar to what Gershon was saying, uh, this company factored out all their accounts receivable because they sell value, and hey, we don't need to have an in-house accounts receivable department. We're going to have other people that are going to deal with this. We're going to pay pay them a fee. Um, you know, might be a little bit more, um, but they just saw value in not having to deal with um, the accounts receivable factor. Um, and you know, that's definitely something to take into account. All
1: right, I'm going to skim the questions and see if we have any other major.
2: Yeah, do not. I mean, Stuart Stein says, do not use company funds for personal use. Absolutely. uh, 100%. Um, I I think this is a very valid point when it comes to business acquisitions. Um, You see all the time where companies want to sell, right? Buyers come to me, they're looking to get a loan uh, and they don't have like a lot of consistency year over year, whether it's top line, bottom line, and you always get back responses. Well, like, you know, the owner is running their personal expenses through the business and this and that. And, and at that point, it's like you got to start questioning the, the accuracy of the company's financial statements. Um, because, hey, if they're running personal things through the business, who knows what else they're running through the business? How do we know how much they're running through the business? Um, it's always very important keep company funds separate. Uh, personal use, absolutely not. Just stay away from that. I'm not even talking about legalities, um, right? Deducting, things, uh, you know, personal things, uh, taking them as business expenses when you shouldn't. I'm just talking about from purely um, understanding your company's um, operations, uh, financials, um, and when, when pushing things to a bank, um, you know, it has to it, it has to look presentable. And, and if you're going to start telling them you're running personal expenses through the business, chances are
0: they, they're going to tell you um, to have a great day. I, I was more talking in terms of uh, like a bad debt I've I've had experience with clients. They would go and take out lines of credits, whatnot, in their company, and then immediately draw those funds. Uh, Then personally, it's like what Gershwin said, it's no value. uh, It doesn't give the company any value. It's paying for past uh, expenses, whatnot. They use it for their personal expenses, putting a down payment on a a primary residence, something like that. And then it would be such a drag on the company paying all the interest and whatnot, and it didn't do anything for them for the business. Just, you know it was a growing business they didn't wait till there was enough company in business to increase their lifestyle so well, I get all this financing now let's increase my lifestyle and the business wasn't there yet and then it created a huge drag on the business because all those funds weren't used for the business so I tell clients if you need temporary financing for cash flow purposes or whatnot timing issues you got to pay payroll but you're gonna have the funds next month and you're going to pay it down and then back and forth that's fine but don't take out don't take those buying credit and then just pay your personal expenses because it, it get no yeah. value and it doesn't help your, your situation. Right. To add another point, um, thank you,
2: Stuart. Um, it's likely that they're also in breach of their agreement with the lender, right? The lender is not making a loan to the company so that, you know, to support the owner's um, personal lifestyle. Um, and that's also, that, you, uh, that that's another point as well. Um, companies that don't have a lot of equity are gonna have a, have a hard time getting a line of credit, right? If owners are just consistently taking distributions um, from the bank's perspective, it's like, hey, you're taking out all your money out as a company. Um, we're not interested in funding your lifestyle because that's, in effect, what they'd be doing if they'd extend a, a credit um, to this company. Um, so for companies that have existing uh, loans or lines of credit with lenders, they're likely in breach of their agreement with the lender if they're actually doing, you know, as you say, Stuart. But on top of that, also, for companies that are looking to get loans, um, It's very important that they build up equity in the business. Um, Lenders like to see that owners are leaving money in the business. They believe in their company and they're not interested in um, supporting the owner's personal uh, lifestyle.
1: Okay. I I think we're pretty much out of time here. I was gonna have have one more question about covenants. We have a question in the chat about, uh, from Robert Bishop about, Specific situation, which I think we might need more details for. Um I mean,
2: and- 20% Robert, just to touch on um, Robert's question is, is that he has a supplier is willing to finance his inventory to get, you know, if he gives a 20% equity interest. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I don't know, you know, like Garson said, you know, I, I don't know the specific circumstances <laughs> of the company or, or your financial situation, um, but 20%. Just sounds very onerous, um, and again, also you're giving up a piece of the pie. Um, I would also seek to, you know, this is the this is the perfect scenario where you have to figure out, hey, can I get a pr- approved for a, a line of credit um, or some other form of financing that's less onerous um, instead of just jumping into uh, this arrangement, you know, just because someone's willing to throw money at you.
1: Right. Some of the questions I would, have, it's not clear to me what it's twenty percent of. Right. Um,
2: but well, maybe it's 20% of the deal, which I've seen quite commonly, where, yeah, you want to buy $100,000 worth of goods, we'll take 20% of the profits from that, from those goods. Um, or it, regardless, it still seems like a lot. So <laughs> yeah, Depending
1: on how low, depending on how low the profits are, if it's very tight margins, 20% could be pretty cheap. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, Robert, you can reach out to Jerry or to us. Yeah, sure,
2: uh, sure. Feel free to send me
1: an email. All right. Um, I think we're going to wind this down. We tell people it ends at 12. So um, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Jerry, for putting on a wonderful presentation. I learned a lot, and uh, I hope that you all did as well. Thank you again, Bob and Rebecca, and thank you to all of our guests today. Uh, yes, if anyone thank wants to. thank you for the
2: opportunity. Report. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: And if anyone has any further questions, you can reach out to... Rebecca, you should have her info, and she can put you in touch with us, with Imperial Advisory, or with Jerry. And uh, look forward to being in touch.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, everyone. Thank you, Garshaw and Rebecca, Bob. Really appreciate it. Have a
3: Have a good one. Oh, thank you. Good. Thank have a you, day, everyone. Thank
0: have you. Been.